everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. We have a really exciting show for you today, but before we get into that, I always we always get new listeners, so I'm going to just tell you a little bit about, about us, who we are, and what we do, and why we do it. Um, bottom line, my mom had dementia for 30 years, and that was life-changing for me, and so I created Alzheimer's Speaks which is an advocacy-based company and a media platform providing multiple ways to shift our connection uh, and our, our care systems um, from crisis to comfort when it comes to uh, caring for someone with dementia. And I believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas and we're going to be able to raise awareness and we're going to help people continue to live life fully and purposely. Um, those, again, both diagnosed and those caring for them. This is a team effort, guys. And, uh, you know, one person with dementia affects a community. And we have, to, we have to realize that and embrace that and make changes accordingly. We also believe here at Alzheimer's Speaks that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that it's working because of each and every one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares of our resources uh, got us named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And this last fall, Maria Shriver um, named us an architect of change for humanity. Um, and again, that would not have happened without all of you. So I can't thank you enough for your support. And please know that those recognitions we share with you because we don't do anything alone. And um, we really, we really feel blessed that you are part of our community. So thank, thank you uh, very much for all you do. I also want to invite all of our listeners to consider being a guest on our show. We interview people all around the world. We interview people that um, are worried that they might have dementia, people that are diagnosed, family and friends who are caring for a loved one business professionals, authors, musicians, movie directors, advocates, researchers, you name it. We have to know what's going on in all these elements. And the only way we can do that is to share our information, share our knowledge. So if you're interested, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com. And up in the top right-hand corner, there's a big Contact Us button. Just click on that and, you know, shoot me an email and let's have a conversation. I would love to talk with you. And, um, and see if you might be our next guest. Now, I also have to go ahead and, because um, I'm getting so excited about this, we are doing a dementia symposium and cruise November 11th through the 18th. And we're going to be heading out of um, Fort Lauderdale, I believe it is, for a seven-day cruise. And we're going to go to the Caribbean, which will be a lot of fun. Um, hopefully the hurricane doesn't uh, um, change our plans on either one of those locations. 
Uh, but we'll, we'll have to watch and see. We've got a fantastic team that we've pulled together. Um, we have four people living with dementia who will actively be speaking during the symposium. Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. We also are honored to have with us Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, and Cindy Luzinski, who heads up a dementia-friendly community in Colorado. And our whole purpose of doing this cruise is really to build camaraderie, help people relax and rejuvenate and live life together. So we're not going to be separating people with dementia and their care partners. We really want to learn how to live graciously and how to how to interact um, as, as a group and to build friendships and um, really, um, really have a lot of fun. So I hope, I hope you join us. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you'll find information on our homepage or you can go to our initiatives and projects page and find more information there. Also on alzheimerspeaks.com, you can go ahead and download a trifold that we just developed on helpful tips when engaging with dementia. And we would love to share that resource with you. So please feel free to do that. Now today, our our guest, I am thrilled to have her on. She is a powerhouse. You're going to feel her energy when she spits out her first word, because that's just who she is at her core. Um, she is, uh, she's a, a life changer, and uh, she hasn't come by that in an easy fashion. Her name is Christiane Cates, and she is the author of The Golden Thread, which is a memoir. And she talks in this book about where 30 seconds changed everything in her life through a tragedy. You see, her story is gritty and raw and really unguarded, and it's about her, her own son's death. And she says it was at her hands and the aftermath of the loss that followed it. Well, we can only begin to imagine. So she is a no-holds-bar girl um, having a conversation of uncommon vulnerability that opens up the dialogue you know, to people who otherwise wouldn't dare to share their own pain. And if we're honest, we all have that level of pain, guys. Um, but it's it's rare when someone allows you and gives you that space um, to state your own. And that really is her mission. It, mission is to um, reach people with a love-first mentality and to really talk candidly. And so I think she's just a perfect fit for us here at Alzheimer's Speaks, because I think it's all about the conversation. You know, we can't move out of the muck if we don't have the conversation, if we don't look at the realities that we've been through and we're going through. And so today she's going to share some of her journey with us and also her journey with dementia and how her past has helped her prepare for its effect on her life. And um, I, I, like I said, she's just uh, an incredible woman. She also hosts a podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And she's a blogger and a speaker. And she has created an I Dare You daily campaign um, to make your life better in five days a week. So um, welcome, Christiane. How are you today? Hi, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. It's a privilege. I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, I'm, um, I'm excited I, to have you. Go ahead. 
Um, why don't you Why don't you tell people a little bit? Um, I always like to ask my guests um, if they've had an experience with dementia. Why don't we start out there, and then we can kind of go into our line of questions here. Perfect. So my father at eighty five. 84 maybe started showing showing signs of memory loss and he I noticed when I would talk to him on the phone um, he lives farther away and we we grew up in different states um, because often families do migrate when they get married or um, so he lives in another state and we lived apart for many years but I started noticing that he would um seemed to not grasp a thought for as long or eventually didn't seem to know for sure who it was or if I was my daughter. She's, she's 22. And uh, I started speaking with my sister about what is going on with this event. And then I went to her wedding. She got married later in life in her 40s. And I realized that he, he was obsessed about me drinking my water. And then 10 minutes later, he would mention it again. <laughs> And this would happen repeatedly. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and so he was actually diagnosed recently. We, they really thought that it was Alzheimer's and it is Lewy body dementia, which for anybody who maybe knows more than I do about this, because I'm on the learning curve, is the combination of, of Alzheimer's symptoms and Parkinson's symptoms. And so um, I've seen him. I don't know why it took quite so long. The initial diagnosis was that. Uh, it was Alzheimer's suspected. Um, so we had a particular specialist in the nation who could define that for my father. But just a huge, I guess I wasn't so surprised about the diagnosis as much as I was, the effect that it would have on the family and how his personality changed. Um, and so that is what we're sort of going through in the last three years. <laughs> And that's a lot. And so I applaud you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just in awe of people. I have had some dear friends who've expressed their their situations, and it's so inspirational for me to think, oh my gosh, you know, we're we're managing, and we have a doable situation. But um, it's just such a great network of people to really have conversations about. What do you do? And this is really painful. And how do you overcome this scenario that repeats itself? And so mm-hmm. I love that everything you're doing. Well, and it's one of those things when people feel so lost, they feel compelled to share, you know, and, and to be able to yes. make the journey easier for the next guy, which I, I'm sure is something that you felt through your son's death and has just, I can't even imagine the types of life lessons that, that you learned through that experience that are probably helping you through, through this journey with dementia even. Yeah, that's true. I think, um, look, in that case, it's an instantaneous event. And you sort of have to, uh, it was a car accident on a rural road. Um, I had an eyelash in my eye. I put down the visor. And the next thing I knew, I was in the back of a of a dump truck, gravel truck, actually. And so um, he actually died of seatbelt injuries. And my daughter had just taken hers off and she lived. But I think what it really does teach you is community is huge and friendships are, are so vital. And, and I took my faith far more seriously because I just decided I don't really know how to jump off this cliff um, or what you, you know, what could be made better um, from this. And so I think that's the factor, but leaning on people, networking, talking through your pain, uh, 
correlating ideas. And this is um, this is transferable to what I'm going through now with the Alzheimer's piece. One of the greatest pieces of advice I got was to plan, especially like early on when, when it's just so overwhelming. And I know that it's difficult if you're caregivers, but to plan something fun for one night, if it's a hotel stay, um, if you have something that you look forward to, that it's so vital to have, I don't know, sacred peace, sacred ground, some piece of your heart that gets excited about something because the season can be difficult and dark and bounce up and down. And so some of the greatest advice I got was that. And so we would plan eventually, it was a quarterly thing, but every month at first there was a one night where you planned a fun event and you specifically were looking forward to it. Um, that really helped. Um, I think, you know, every resource you can get your hands on, obviously. And uh, I guess, you know, that, that idea too, that um, I don't know if this is the best statement, but your message comes from your mess. Your purpose comes from your pain. Your, your, um, I, I feel like your character is so relevant and um, I, I wouldn't trade it in some weird way. I feel like you're right. It's very applicable to the shifts in life and what are you going to do? You, you could sit under that bridge and decide to never come out, but what would that serve? And is that really the life you want? So um, that speaks to the condition of Alzheimer's as well. And I feel like that network is still as vital. That faith is still as vital. That laughter piece is so relevant. The planning of a fun thing. I think the other thing that really matters to me too, that, um, that I, I love, if I have a lonely day or an hour or a moment where life is just so discouraging, I had a candle representative of my son and um, you can have a candle representative of your loved one with Alzheimer's and on the holidays, you just light it. And when you're in the mood to talk about it, it's remembering something beautiful and remembering the love that's still there and um, embracing some sort of peace in that candle about not feeling so lonely or left or vulnerable. I don't know if that helps. Maybe you pick it in the favorite color of somebody that has Alzheimer's and you like that on holidays. You like that on Saturday night. You you like that when you're most frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> when you're really angry, it's a great touch point of I'm doing this to acknowledge what I can't change. And I found that to be amazing. So for what that's worth. I I like that, Um, the whole candle piece. I I think, well, I just think candles are so comforting and for Mm -hmm. me really spiritual anyways. And um, so I I think that that's, you know, it's nice to have some type of representation where you just, you know, feel connected. And just that lighting of Mm -hmm. the flame, I would think, would be um, just a really graceful way to to feel connected. and, and, um, And there's just such beauty in a candle in that flame as it flickers, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's a very, uh, very neat thing. I, I think with dementia and, you know, the loss of your, your son, you know, there's, there, I'm sure that there is grief and guilt connected with both of them. Um, because yeah. most, most, most caregivers yeah. and care partners, you know, they, they grieve the loss, even though someone is, may still be living, they're not the same person. And then the guilt of not doing the right thing or how we beat ourselves up and the inner critic kind of like takes over and clobbers us mm. with the bat and, mm-hmm. and things. Yes. And, and I would think that, um, have you seen that similarity or felt that similarity? Yes. Yes. 
Thank you for bringing that up. That's so true. Um, I think, boy, um, you sort of have a meeting with yourself Mm -hmm. and you acknowledge all the ways you're going to fail, I think. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, I mean, I, that took me a while. I think avoidance is my favorite thing. So I would just say, no, you know, that car accident wasn't really my fault. That was a total accident. And that is true. But then you had moments where you're like, but you're responsible for the broken lives of my daughter and my ex-husband, how they fell apart. I wanted to fix it for them. I wanted to fix it for them so badly. I know we want to fix our loved one with dementia too. And you want to protect them and you want to take care of them and you want to get through to them how relevant these, the legal paperwork is and, you know, how important they are to you before they don't remember who you are and how important it is for them to help you and they can't grasp that. <laughs> so, um, yes, the guilt piece is massive. There is a sort of a, a line that you just, I, I think I just decided. In my heart of hearts, I did everything and would have done everything to fix this, to do differently, to have, to have given the gift to both my son and my father any way that I know how, to have said I love you enough times, to have not been angry that time that I was angry. Um, but really, like, life is, is about that. You, everyone will have some. And somebody said to me once, and I've repeated it a thousand times to other people and to myself, Take the 50,000 pound bag off your shoulders. You are not capable of carrying the world and you can't fix everything. And you can walk around with that, but it won't change anything. And your guilt won't change anything. And your shame won't change anything. The only thing you can do is find that kind of forgiveness for yourself. And, and I often relate that in many ways, because even if you don't have someone with dementia, or you don't have a son that died at your own hand. Um, you know, for example, if I, you know, driving the vehicle uh, in that day, I think you, life is short and you can waste years lashing yourself on the back and having guilt over things that you can't change other decisions we make. And I think that's, you know, I don't know whether you're atheist, Jewish, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, you know, finding a space for forgiveness for yourself and knowing that you're loved. And knowing that you were created imperfectly is such a beautiful, um, you know, we promise that we're going to learn something from this life. And I think uh, that guilt serves no one. And at some point, it's holding you back. I heard somebody say once, you are wasting time sitting in your guilt and shame when life could be lived with a freedom and a purpose that you're getting sidetracked on because of this. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some truth to that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are there there's a season sometimes where you might have to sit on your floor and talk to yourself about how you're going to forgive yourself for something. Um, but you know, what the idea is not more than three days. You know, you know, sit and de- deal with something and then move forward from that. So I don't know if that speaks to anybody else, but that's sort of how I process it. Oh, I, I think it speaks to an awful lot of people. I know it resonates with me. And, it, and you know, in grief, I mean, you have to feel it. You have to, like you said, sit on the floor and cry and, and do whatever you need to do. Because I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that you can't move through something if you don't acknowledge mm-hmm. it. You know, it, if so you true. if you go so around, true. it's just going to follow you, you know. And so mm-hmm. um, for me, in my process with with my mom on her 30 year journey, I would ask myself, what's the lesson? 
What's the lesson? This mm-hmm. can't all just be for naught. What is the lesson? And there was always, if I would just shut up and be quiet, there was always something that came to me that went, oh, that's my lesson. That's my purpose. That's the wisdom of this. You know, it's not all for yes. for nothing. There was, th- mm-hmm. there's a mission here. We all have a mission and a vision. And sometimes we we get sidetracked and it's not always a pleasant, you know, journey, but you know what? It wasn't before you lost your son. It wasn't before dementia hit your family. Uh, life goes up and down, you know, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so why sure. we think it's supposed to be after a tragedy, you know, is really quite silly. And and yet we yeah. hold on to it even harder, I think, and fiercer mm-hmm. um, when we're going through mm-hmm. that because we're so scared of what's on the other side. And, and yes, they're forgetting who they were, mm-hmm. um, or somehow mm, losing that sense of closeness. And so, if you stay in that space in some vital capacity, or you avoid it altogether, which is a really disastrous concept, whether it's alcohol or you know, whatever your choice of poison avoidance is, it's never, ever the way to go. But um, I can I add something in here? I, sure, I've been yeah. thinking so much about the idea that um, what it's brought back to for me that surprises me and my sister and I were talking about this is that it brings up old things um, that you didn't understand maybe about your parent or the person who has Alzheimer's. You know, maybe like, for example, when I was growing up, I went to a Christian college Mm -hmm. and I got super emotional when I turned 21 and I said, dad, you know, this is what's right about us. And this is what's wrong about us. (laughs) (laughs) Now, why I chose to say that, but I think that's sort of the ode to turning 21. Maybe, I don't know, because I've seen it with my daughter too. You, You assess your life and you have your thoughts about your parents and you generally tell them at that point. And I said, I love you for this and I don't understand this. And he was not a talker. He was of that generation. He's super caring and kind and very generous. But I was frustrated by certain conversations that we never had. And he said, well, you know, I'm doing my very best to be the best dad I know how. I don't know how to be any better. Oh, I remember thinking, you can't ask him for more than that. Yeah. And that the guilt of wanting more from the person who gave you all they had, for heaven's sakes. And so she and I were discussing the oddities of maybe our unique family dynamics and the quirkiness of them. And she was saying that he was recently saying to her, you know, you're really getting fat. Why are you getting fat? (laughs) And she just kept getting angrier, like, well, you're rude. (laughs) And, um, you know, what we were coming to understand, which you probably know so well, and so many of your listeners do, is that there's this childlike side of him now that thinks that she's pregnant potentially and so her response became no I'm not pregnant dad if that's what you're trying to ask me in some sly you know 1950s kind of a way no I'm not pregnant and you know he he in his in his more childlike way was thinking about things that made made sense to him without coming out and saying are you um which she could have been, but I think he was sidetracking it in this sort of innocent, younger, previous generation politeness. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't who we knew him to be, but it eventually came out that that was his question in the sideways <laughs> way. So um, he's just 
kept saying, why does he keep saying that to me? And how am I going to keep answering that? And that is so rude. Um, so, you know, she can laugh about it now, but initially she was just infuriated and disgusted and hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the process that you go through is these random things that you don't know what to do with. And, and, um, and I remember thinking, you know, uh, there, there are things you want back and seasons you want back or opportunities you want back. And so, um, so I think that was something that really surprised me. I didn't really expect to go back memory lane and have those circle around and and you're processing and you're feeling emotions and you're thinking about that. So, um, that was just a learning curve for me of, Oh yeah, that is happening. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And it, and there's a logical reason behind, you know, when those filters are gone, um, but we don't see mm-hmm. them because we've never looked at the new logic. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I used to um, deal with, uh, just like any other family, is that that great loss of I want things mm-hmm. the way they were. And yet if mm-hmm. we look at our own lives, we're not the same person we were, but yet we hold so tight to try to make them not change. And yet the whole world mm-hmm. has changed. And so if we can look at it, look at it in a big, you know, picture perspective of that everybody is going to change. Everyone is, you know, formulating differently um, throughout time. And then we just have to kind of put on our investigative hat sometimes and figure out why. Because there really is a logical reason why they're acting the way they are or commenting the way they are. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's not to be typically mean or nasty or, or, you know, um, get our goats, but we, but that's the place we go. You know, we, we go to that personal space of I'm not good enough. I, I know. And and it's this negative, you know, critic of, um, you know, they're just trying to get me going. They're trying to get me to be a person Mm -hmm. I don't want to be. And it has nothing to do with that because they're not even Mm. typically capable of doing that. But, uh, but I think it's that that question of again, what's the lesson in in it? And the lesson is, it's not about you; it's about them mm-hmm. and their perceptions. Mm-hmm. And so, but we've been taught, you know, to to go there, um, I, you know, either consciously or subconsciously. That's just kind of our culture um, to feel like we're not enough, we're not good enough, and that people are questioning us. And so that's the path we we automatically take instead of looking at the fun of it, you know, and um, seeing that someone's just really, truly trying to connect with us on a, on a deeper level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a whole area that we haven't had a lot. I, I don't, so I, so I have guilt because I live far away, obviously, and I'm doing enough for him. And I have a mom who has a different disease and lives in a different state. So I feel like I straddle both. Um, but um, but I find that guilt, guilt comes back around when you get frustrated with them because now you're the bad one in your own mind because not only did you not understand why they're doing this and you should accommodate them and you should bigger than them because you know they have this disease, but now the guilt is, um, why am I angry? I shouldn't be angry. I should be able to handle this. I should be better at this. I should be able to manage all of this and be closer. And even when you're closer, because I live near my mom. We were not connecting on the TV shows to watch. We were not connecting on our time schedules. I'm up at 5.30. She's up at 4 in the afternoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I think there's that, too, that you, 
you find yourself cycling around sometimes this the struggle of what is happening in front of you and feeling guilty for your frustration and then they they kind of go around like a, a wheel unless you can really get healthy enough to separate those out like you're saying and understand the behavior and um and and celebrate I think without it being about you you're so right mm-hmm. yeah so right yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting process there. How how has dementia changed you? And um, are there any correlations between, you know, your your loss with your dad and dementia and the the loss of your son? So I would say, wow, um, that's a great question. So my son's was so instantaneously. Um, it was kind of the mess that you just have to walk forward from. You make funeral arrangements and you move forward. And there's some finality about that. And I had told people, you know, before my father was diagnosed, that to me is almost easier, as horrific as it is to say that out loud and admit that, than someone who's been sick for the long haul and it's costing millions of dollars or some, some somebody's child that I had seen that had 21 surgeries and the disease and the impact on the family from a cost basis. I remember feeling slightly blessed that the worst thing was that I just had to figure out how to pick up the pieces and put them in the basket and put them in a suitcase and keep walking. And dementia is an ongoing challenge um, um, to find the frame of gratitude, to to give but not overgive so that you're not angry. To, and, and sometimes you don't have the resources. The financial impact is ridiculous. Um, I mean, I've, I've only gotten to this a little bit, but realizing that it's six or $8,000 a month and in the latter stages or even in the earlier ones and having people have breaks and um, who's going to be able to do this and who isn't going to be able to do this. And even as a family, can we come up with that fund to help? And do you feel like you just put him in a closet because you need a break? And um, so I think, yes, I think that, um, I think that, you know, obviously they're both losses. I think the most difficult piece is it's almost harder. And gosh, I hate to even say that, but it's almost harder with dementia because you are living with a changing dynamic that does not have a box that you put it in. You are an ongoing relationship that requires a lot of giving of yourself and a balance point between what you're able to do and what you're not able to do and accepting what you're not able to do. Mm -hmm. And and the finality of that still looms, but you watch it. And I think the, the financial impact is, is, is a huge difference. So um, I think there's, I think, it's, I think it's harder in a lot of ways watching dementia. Really hard to admit that, but I think it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, a lot of brave people working through this disease and their families equally. So um, it's a humbling experience to watch others who've gone through it more than I have and realize the strength of their character and their perception. It's a real, it's a beautiful thing for some people to celebrate um, under these circumstances in ways that the rest of the world hasn't even considered. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, you're right. It's an opportunity of character and to, to shift the way you look at your life um, and everybody else's and what you're, what you can do without that fine line of comforting for the caregiver and supplying everything that that person needs. Mm -hmm. Have you found that um, 
you know, since the loss of your son, that you look at at your other relationships differently, um, maybe a little deeper, Uh and Uh looking at creating more of those connections and moments of joy? That's so true. Um, I said I would never get upset over the fact that they were out of bread at the grocery store, you know, after that, but... I do have my really petty moments still. So it's good to know that as great as life lessons are, I can still be small minded. (laughs) 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 But um, I think that overall, I sort of promised myself that I would try to live a life without regrets. I don't know if that's a hundred percent possible, but yes, making time and building relationships for people that matter, Mm -hmm. doing the things on your bucket list that you say that you're not going to do, you're going to do them. Um, I'm very tunnel focused about a goal, about a financial repercussion, and I'm far less about that. It's so much more about helping other people is the true passion of the book. Um, I really feel like life is short. And if somebody's at the bottom of the barrel, if you feel like the curb is a promotion for you today, I totally understand that because some days are like that. Um, I used to joke around with my pastor when it was really bad. I said, I'm walking around with a full frontal lobotomy and I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I have an IV drip of Bacardi. I'm not really a drinker, so it was particularly funny if you knew me and my family. Although I did drink at that time to cope. Um, but, but you know, I think you have to make jokes. You, you have to see it for what it is. You have to take joy in the little things. Um, And maybe somebody can relate to the idea that I think it took me three months before I didn't wake up nauseous or afraid or, um, you know, just regretting the day before I was out of bed. Um, The tums, the alarm clock, the whole overwhelming sense of this is my parents' diagnosis or this is my son's funeral day or this, I have to go to work today and then I have to take care of this person and the financial burden is extraordinary. Um, I just, I just believe that, that, that everything will one step at a time find its way to working out. And I have more passion from my situation. I think my whole life would have been kind of bland. And I, that sounds so awful, but I'm, I don't know that I've ever had so much passion to speak to people's lives. So, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to look at a cliff and say, this is a really difficult, dark life season. What could I do with it that would make it better than ever? And how would that look if I could dream again, knowing that this is not the life I planned for my loved one. And this is not the life I planned for me. You know, if I could defy life in some way, what amazing outcome could I have? And what would that look like if you could do a start over at this juncture because you're staring at life differently? And I think that's a hard challenge and a good one, and it might take you some time. I, my dreams died at that point. So um, you have to reinvent some, and you kind of can't sit down and write them down. It takes you a while to believe that there can be more. You can find ways to manage this. You can find joyful moments with them and look, think outside the box and have time for your other family members and your own personal space. And um, you know, keep creating moments and thoughts and moving forward because sometimes that's all you need to do is get up and keep stepping. And I fill my day and probably you can all relate to this with um, positive affirmations. Uh, Joel seems 
uh, declarations. I printed them off and some mornings I would have to read all 25 of them or however many there are, 31. I'd have to read them all before I left for work <laughs> just to be like, yes, I can do this. <laughs> um, you know, if it's Brene Brown that really lights you up, whoever your person is, Tony uh, Robbins, who who's your person that speaks life to you, you know, keep doing that because it is a one step at a time and exercise, right? What would I do without a 6 a.m. exercise program? And, and some people are saying, I can't possibly fit that in. Um, I know my cousin goes at four in the morning because her kids are sleeping and, and she's able to do that then. And that's the only time she can do it. But, but whatever that thing is that really, that really helps you keep your brain pattern in a functional, potentially positive space. I think that's all the nuts and bolts of what you have to do and eating better, sleeping, um, sleeping in one day a week past what you think you should. I think Mm -hmm. it's helpful too. (laughs) Yeah. Downtime and and letting your body just regroup. But we're so good at beating ourselves up and you're lazy, get moving. And it's like, I know I've learned to listen to my body and I, I, I don't have a problem being a slug now. And, and I just find that, you know, some days I just need to be a couch potato or I need to just be home alone. I just need silence. I just need quiet because I, I talk, I interact, I'm constantly going in mm-hmm. and, and it's healthy, you know, to listen to your body um, and not push yourself to a nervous breakdown, um, you know, Absolutely. and, and yet we're not taught to do that. You know, we're taught to Mm-mm. be like everybody else and be involved and go with the demands. And, you know, we're not even taught to be able to say no you know, and be comfortable with that. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's for sure. And sometimes we have to say no, you know, this isn't a good fit for me, or it's not comfortable, or I just don't have it in me today. So even if I said yes, you're not going to get all of me, you're going to get a really small piece, and it might be a crabby piece to boot, you know, so just let me That's right. Let that's me, right. Let me say And what no. about, I mean, I, I would argue no is far more important than yes, mm-hmm. because yes is the easy solution. No is the one that determines how you spend your day and where you're best allotted. I think the no's are far more relevant. I was talking about that with my daughter recently, like the ability to define your life by your nose. It's not the S that they do. Mm-hmm. And like how far more important those are, whether you marry someone, a no is really relevant, right? Yeah, sure. You could marry a lot of people, but your no, very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, and it stands here too. It stands in your career choice, your, your faith choice, your friendship seasons, every area, but especially here when, when you have the right to say no and let that define you, maybe you go through a season of a lot of no's because I did do that too. Um, I think um, I just started, I started on Saturday morning walks and I would take a two hour walk and listen to three or four podcasts that are about 30 minutes apiece. And if the phone rang during that time, I would get mad. I still do it. Um, and I think I'm doing it maybe for three or four years now. But for somebody, maybe that's your thing. My walk becomes the sacred ground of do not bother me. I'm in my own space. I'm motivating myself. I'm free from anything else I need to do. And I love that. So maybe that's an idea for somebody too. But um, put the walking shoes on and bring your phone and your keys. and Put your earphones in and listen to your your podcast, your sermon, your inspiration, whoever that is. That Mm -hmm. really helps me too. Well, yeah, it's in, it's important to get refilled. 
and uh, instead of just giving everything away, you know, we, we, we need to, well, we need to even be able to assess when we're empty. And I know for me, I didn't even know how to do that. Because mm-hmm. no one told That's me, so true. no one told me how to do that. No one taught me mm-hmm. how to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, no. um, the day that I... And by then you're angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> and, yeah. Exactly. Angry and exhausted. <laughs> and, um, and the day so that I, I, that changed for me, I mean, everything changed for me. And I realized that I couldn't be all I wanted to be if I didn't allow myself that downtime to get refilled. And, and I think that definitely applies in terms of caring for somebody else. Um, we have to also care for ourselves. You know, we have to be as good to ourselves as we are to others. And again, that's a kind of a rule that we don't talk about and we don't look at. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we were giving advice to a friend, we'd be telling them it's okay. But we don't tell ourselves that, <laughs> you know. And it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it. Um, mm-hmm. we put ourselves at a higher standard, you know, well, well we can do it, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, we're really not any better than anybody else here. So let's get our ego out of the way and, and move on, you know? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> that speaks to me. <laughs> yep. Well I, well, I think it speaks to most of us if we're honest, you know, um, because we, I think we, you know, we get in our way more than probably anybody else. Um, but we're mm-hmm. we're all good at projecting that it was someone else's fault or somebody triggered me or, you know, whatever. Because, again, we're not, most people aren't taught to look inward in how to fix uh-uh. things. And, and I think that that's, again, one of these great lessons when you're going through grief and guilt and change is um, how do I how do I manage to have control again? How do I learn from this? How do I live through this and with this and alongside this? Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. Now you have, you have something you've created called I Dare You Daily. Why don't we talk a little bit about that and, and um, how that might be able to help some of our listeners? So I don't know if anybody's an Instagram follower. I've kind of had to do it because I've got the book and the whole social media piece, getting to know your audience and them getting to know you. So I started an Instagram um, and it's under Christine Cates. But the whole idea initially was, you know what? I want to dare myself to do something better every day. And what if it starts a movement and what if other people do that with me? So, you know, I dare you to tell five people you love them. Um, I dare you to call someone and take them to lunch that you haven't seen in a long time. I dare you to pay somebody's money in the meter um, randomly, pay somebody's coffee in the 7-Eleven line. I have been having more fun with that. I got to tell you, like, some of the stuff is really great. So just, it's just a mindset of, you know, it takes you 30 seconds to do something. I dare you to uh, dance with underwear on your head. If you have small children at home, it might not be so fun if you have a grown adult in your house with you, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole, take out the Play-Doh finger paint. Um, oh, I dare you to believe in yourself today. Sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Um, I dare you to stop feeling guilty, if, you know, not serving anyone. I, I have quite a few of them posted. Um, but I think the, one of the most fun I've been having is kind of try to do anonymously once a month. Um, and they're not posted on my dare you dailies, but the idea you is this some positive move forward idea to just 
you know, do something daily that moves you forward. That's a conscious effort to better your life and take, take a moment and take some joy or make an impact. But the, I was, I went into a Seven Eleven one day and, um, I went in there and bought myself a coffee and there was a line of people behind me. And I said, you know what? I looked at the guy and I said, I'm just going to get these. And this woman said, well, wait a minute. I've got two kids here and one of them's still coming up. I said, that's fine. So pretty soon a lady came up and got her cigarettes. I mean, we did not mandate what we thought was approved or not approved. And I just got five people's worth. You know, it cost me maybe $15 worth. And the guy, there was a kid there in his 20s. He looked at me and goes, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And we've heard of the story before, but you know, I love how surprised people look. And look, we are giving and giving and giving, and your audience is big, big givers. But I think that the immediate joy of not having them know my name and thinking they're still good in the world on a heavy, you know, national trauma that we have going on and all the global events. It's so sweet to see somebody smirk and some people that really, that was their lunch was a Twinkie and a coffee because they really don't have money for anything else. And so my $15 went a long way um, to bring me joy. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I've been secretly trying to do once a month and go, you know what? I want to get the next five people behind me in the McDonald's line. Yep. And, you know, maybe it was $15 there too. It's surprising how little it is. So just fun things that actually brought me immediate sneaky joy. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I liked that. So well, that's very not cool. a new idea, but a but a fun one. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done that at Caribou, you know, the coffee, and just say I'm going to get the guy behind me, and they're like, "What?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah." And and people are just, I mean, it, <laughs> the person at the counter is shocked, and you can see the people around, and I mean, it's just kind of a ripple <gasps> effect, and it, it's it's a good feeling. I was out at we have a big state fair. And I was working at the, the donut booth and it was, they put me on the backside. And so I'm like, okay, fine. I'm working the cashier. So I'm, I'm like cat calling, you know, come on, get your hot mini donuts, you know, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm having a good time and I'm kind of cor- trying to corral people to come in and, and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times people came up and said, it is so nice to see somebody having fun and happy. Oh, and it was just like, wow, I, and right. one guy even tipped. He's like, "I'm going to tip you." He's like, and I'm like, "No, we don't need a tip." And he's like, "No, he's he's like, it, this is just it really." And they walk away just with these huge smiles, and they're talking back and forth. Or even if they would pass, they would still get a little chuckle, you know, because I'd I'd call out to them, and they knew specifically I was calling to them, you know, to come on over <laughs> and don't leave home, you know, don't leave the fair without him, whatever it was. And it was just such a simple, silly thing to do. But we we had a ball, you know, and it didn't seem like work. Our time went really fast. And, you know, I'm sure there were a couple of people that, you know, like, oh, what is that lady's problem? You know, but most people came around and smiled. And, you know, we would end up getting these long lines waiting where our our donut machines couldn't even keep up with them. You know, but then we would just engage people. And I think we've gotten in in the world to not engage, you know, and mm-hmm. it, which is just mm-hmm. it, so it, true. Really, really sad. So I, I just think, um, you know, I love that idea of I dare you daily, you know, just to be different, you know, step out of your comfort zone just a hair, because um, I really think that's where um, the true energy and synergy is to life when we step out of our own mm-hmm. box, because. Because otherwise, we're just kind of curled on the couch with our little blankie, you know, feeling safe. 
<laughs> and and that's a nice place to be, but it's not necessarily the best place to live if you really want no, to live a full life sure. because you're alone. So true. You know, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. there's always something to learn from others, and that that synergy, that energy. Um, is powerful, powerful stuff, you know, and that's how we change the world. That's how we change cultures. That's how we, how we make movements. It's, it's not one person, you know, it's, it's engaging and getting people excited and, and letting that passion out and simplifying it. So it's not so complicated and, and making it fun, you know? Uh, Yeah. And who the heck doesn't want to have fun in life, you know? And again, you know, (laughs) You can't yeah, I think the opportunity to change people's lives is like the coolest. I mean, of all the things, of all the great things you can accomplish in the world, this is just the way I feel about it. I didn't always see this. I thought this was a little Pollyanna, but I look at life so differently the longer that I live. Like the opportunity to, to have a light bulb come on for somebody in these conversations or a one-on-one friendship who's just at the bottom and you gave her five minutes of hope. It's 15 minutes at a time that you make it through life. And changing a life, to me, Changing a life is about the coolest thing there is because nothing else is going to really last. And the, oh, poor me, I didn't make, you know, enough money this week or, which is relevant. Don't get me wrong. That's all relevant and painful. Um, I think that there's so much more about changing lives that makes you feel like you have a significant impact impact on people directly, small or big, whatever Mm -hmm. that is, people you don't know. It's so great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, Yeah. It is. And it's, uh, I think it's something that we, I think it's something that we haven't taught and we're seeing the effects of that, you know, the power of one and that we we Mm. really aren't one. We are, we are one of many and we all affect others in our, our nonverbals. If we speak it, if we walk it, if we talk it, I mean, there's so many different ways to affect other people. And yet we, we all think we live in this little bubble you know, and we don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, we, we live in community and, and we have to learn to, um, respect that and appreciate that and, and know that we don't have to do everything alone, um, that others are there wow. for us and, and to remember the gift of giving, you know, we all know how good it feels to help somebody else out. Well, we have to be able to open our hearts to receive that as well. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it really isn't a two-sided thing. Again, I don't think we're taught to receive as much as we are taught. That's what I was thinking. Taught to yeah. give. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's... And for your caregivers, you know, I'm talking about giving, which... But I, I kind of think you get it. You don't get an immediate response from your... I think that's what I was trying to say if that didn't come across. You don't always get that immediate response from the person you're giving the care to. And mm-hmm. when it's an aunt, they don't even remember maybe that you've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I flew I flew into town. To, we had a family meeting. We were crying, 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 trying to get him to understand we needed him to take action on the legal paperwork. And, you know, I said, Dad, you're going to forget that I was here 10 minutes from now or as soon as I leave. And you're going to forget that we worked up to you signing this document in 15 minutes. So please just sign it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the flip side of that is that... Um, um, you, you do need that receiving piece. I can get instant joy when I do the coffee thing at the 7-Eleven. I think that's why we were saying it's rewarding because my dad may not be moved or even remember what I did. And that can feel very empty, even though you know you're doing good, even though you know you're supplying everything that you can for them and working as a team to do that. 
and dividing up your time and doing all the things you need to do in your given day. But I think there is an instant reward for some places. It's what do they say? If you're a golfer, have a measurable job. Mm-hmm. So when your golf game is not measurable, <laughs> you can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. Sometimes caring for somebody with dementia, or if you're in the sandwich generation, like most of us are, regardless of what that background looks like, you don't often feel like you have a measurable result that you can say, wow, today mattered. And I made, I made progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, finding that thing that helps you find the measurable, whatever that is, I guess, for you is, is important too. Yep. Yeah, wonderful. Well, this hour has flown by, which I I wasn't surprised. I knew we would have a fun and interesting conversation. (laughs) Is there anything else, Christiane, that you want to share with our audience? We definitely want to give them all your contact information. Um, But but anything else? Listen, it was such a joy to be here. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for your help and your advice with uh, my family. And it directly correlates for me. And I've shared it with my family members um, on all the resources you have. Um, if you are interested in touching base with me, my information is at www.christianecates.com. And my first name is K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E. But you can go I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, my email is info at christianecates.com. If you want to email me for any um responses, questions, follow-up feedback. I would love to hear from you. Um, It's just a privilege to be part of the show. Thank you so much, Lori. You're just full of energy yourself, and I just pull on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's uh, it it takes two, you know, and um, I think we're both passionate about what we do, and you know, mm. Christiana is, is a is a great woman with uh, wonderful resources um, there to help you. Um, she does speaking engagements as well. So, you know, please reach out to her and uh, you, you won't be disappointed. Um, thank <laughs> you. Thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it, Christiane. Thank you. Um, Before I wrap up, I'm just going to uh, give a shout out again for all of you that have signed up for our Dementia Friendly Cruise and Symposium November 11th through the 18th. I can't wait to meet you. And uh, for those of you who haven't pulled the trigger yet, you know, please come and join us. We would love to have you on our cruise. Also um, want to remind people that uh, this month is World Alzheimer's Month. So it's a great time to, again, pass on information, kind of give that lift, lifting hand up of grace to others in need as well. Um, here on our radio show, all of our shows are archived, so we've been doing this for six years. There's tons of them to listen to, and uh, I know that you'll enjoy those. We also just posted a brand new Dementia Chat, so that's a video interview that I do with uh, people living with dementia. And we talked about humor and laughter and how things change for them regarding um, humor and laughter and comedy as the disease progresses. I think you'll find uh, their, their insights very, very helpful. As far as the blog goes, there's a beautiful poem on there that's been getting a, a lot of um, leverage. It's called A Rose in the Snow, and it was written by one of our members, and um, I've pushed that out all over social media, and it's just been beautiful, the, the response that we've seen to that. The A-list has also um, 
given us more information regarding how do you find a research project that you can get involved with if you have dementia or maybe you don't have any dementia. Um, is it something that you can do um, virtually or, or they have some where you have to go into clinics? They have all different types of avenues, and it really only takes a few minutes to fill it out and find out um, some information that could really help help us find a cure. So check that out on the blog. Um, who else? I want to give a shout out to the American Senior Magazine. Um, wonderful new magazine, nice big type, great topics, um, great pieces in there for engaging. And you can find out more about them by going to americanseniormagazine.com. Um, I also want to give a shout out to my friends at the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation who are located out in Arizona, who really take a holistic approach to dementia. You'll find a lot of great information about exercise and diet and meditation. Um, so please go check them out, as well as our friends at the um, Call Alert Center. They have a, a segment specifically for uh, caregivers. So you can register someone who has dementia and be prepared in case they would wander. It's very inexpensive, but can really help you um, out if that would occur. And then, of course, uh, Dave at Calendar Cards provides a memory cafe directory. Um, there's over 330 of them now in the U.S., which is very exciting. So, um, again, I wish you a wonderful week. Hope you enjoyed your Labor Day. And remember the three simple things that can help you interact and feel a little bit more balanced and person-centered. Um, it's a tool I developed called Your Memory Chip, um, and it teaches us to ask three simple things before every engagement. Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain-free? Have a blessed week, everyone. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.